it's not about upselling and cross-selling. It's about making the best customer experience possible because then people will naturally refer to you and you'll naturally get more five-star reviews and then your cost to acquire goes down anyway because you're just better. You just want to be better than everyone else. And the best way to do that is care more than anyone else. You're listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm Steve Gordon. For the first five years, this podcast was known as the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. The episode you're about to hear uses that name, but don't worry, you're in the right place. Same great content, new name. Enjoy. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and I'm super excited for this interview. This is going to be really relevant for those of you out there in a high ticket service where you're trying to convert clients and they're inquiring about your service and you need a great way to do that. This is going to be a great interview for you if you're offering any kind of of, uh, online education or a course for the same reason. And uh, I'm just really excited to learn today with all of you. So today I'm talking with Paul Ace. He is the CEO of Amplify Ccom. They help seven-figure high-ticket course creators break through their glass ceiling to generate an extra six or even seven figures in new revenue using conversational commerce, which uh, he says uses a trifecta of psychology, technology, and dataology. And he's going to explain what all that is. Um, And uh, they use that to really help companies rapidly scale. So I am excited to dive in and learn more. Mr. Paul Ace, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. Steve, it's a a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, my purpose today is to give as much value to your audience as possible. So uh, I'll hold nothing back. Well, as I told you before uh, the interview, as long as we've got two smart people and and I think we can at least check that box once and maybe twice, I don't know. I think, I think we'll do that for sure. So before we dive into, to some of the, the meat, just take a couple of minutes, give everybody some background on you. So they have some context for how you got to the stage of your career. Yes, yeah, so I'll, do, I'll do the whirlwind version. Uh, I could I could do a whole hour on on this story alone, but I uh, I started off um, as a store manager. In fact, I was like I, I used to work at Subway. I know you guys got plenty of those as well. I used to work at Subway like four pounds seventy an hour. I remember it cost me uh, two hours of labor to pay for the parking, and that was pretty much in two hour shifts. Oh so my gosh, it was something like. <laughs> It was like, I was basically not really making, I think I was making about £250 a month or something like that. So it was like hardly anything when I was about 17, 18. Uh, then kind of did lots of different things, uh, went into management, was running 20 staff in a bakery um, at 20 years old. So kind of got that management bug and everything early on. And uh, then through that, I realized that wasn't, I didn't want to be in the corporate world, right? You, you know, and I think some people realize that when they're 40 odd, I realized that when I was like 21, I think. <laughs> and then uh, I was actually then went on to be a wedding singer uh, from there. So, you know, natural progression from Subway to bakery to wedding singer. It's the natural progression that most people go on, right? And <laughs> then, and th- then at that point, I had four years. I think four, four or five years being a, a professional wedding singer, went went from charging like 130 pounds for a day, which is like about $200 to charging 2000 pounds a day. 
um, over that period of time because I learned how to do marketing, which was, uh, and then I got the bug. I got the bug right for marketing and that was more interesting than anything else. Um, and uh, off the back of the singing business, I actually started a bridesmaid's dress business because we started building info product around that. And it got us to the point where like we were doing uh, five figures plus a month, like uh, selling bridesmaid's dresses. But that nearly made me go bankrupt. And that's a story for another day. Like we could do the whole backstory thing. Uh, but I nearly went bankrupt. I cycled, hit my lowest point, and then went to that point. Okay, something's got to change. And I was like, well, what do I enjoy and what am I good at? And I just plotted everything on a graph, everything that I'd ever done. And it turned out that was the marketing and the automation and understanding the tech and leveraging all that. And then we got into doing the same things that we were doing with the bridesmaids dresses but doing it for like high ticket course creators and like info products and things like that. And I was like, wow, this stuff works amazingly well over here and it makes a lot more money. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it meant we got to change a lot more lives as well in the process than the small scale we're at. So that's kind of like the whirlwind of how I got to where I am. And, and now we are working with businesses that are doing seven figures plus a month on average after 12 months of working with us, they do an extra $700,000 a month. Um, so like we, we cracked quite a few codes over how to help businesses scale. And, um, yeah, we're just really excited to see their results and now help them change more lives. That's fantastic. Um, maybe we should just put everything to the side and, and go through all of the stories you have as a wedding singer, because I'm sure you've got some, some well, great stories. We could, we could be entertaining for a while here. So, certainly. I mean, yeah, yeah. My wife keeps saying I need to, the first book I write needs to be called marketing on the dance floor. There you go. Um, so we'll we'll get around to it one day, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff happening right now as well that's so timely when it comes to like AI and conversation and instant gratification and the fact that people want personalized service all the time. I think there's so much of that going on that uh, we'd do them a disjustice if we didn't if we didn't dive into that as well. <laughs> all right. Well, you twisted my arm. We'll, we'll we'll go right to the good stuff then. So I think the place to start is just with terminology. So. You have the terminology for what you do. You call it conversational commerce. So what exactly, in when you talk about conversational commerce, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so, I mean, it can mean a lot, a lot of things to a lot of different people. And, and we, we tend to call it CCOM just because we know, like, that's where it's heading. People are, like, short and everything, right? So, like, people don't go, oh, I laughed out loud. They'd say lol. They, they don't say, oh, I've got an electronic commerce store. They say I've got an e-com store. Right. So people are not going to say, have, oh, I do conversational commerce. They're going to say, I do CCOM. What is conversational commerce? Well, there's two major changes that we've had in the marketplace, right? Is with having social media, with having COVID as well, like people have looked for instant gratification and dopamine rushes more and more than they've ever done before. Uh, so everyone want, wants instant gratification. But at the same time, now everyone wants human connection as well because we didn't have it for two years right so we all want that more and we want personalized service so we're quite demanding really as a as a human race of everything that we want so what we look at is like how do we leverage and we call it a ccom trifecta so how do we leverage psychology technology and datarology so when it comes to conversational commerce as a whole and i'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a minute but the conversational commerce as a whole is how do you leverage AI and build human-like customer experiences that then transfer over to humans to finish some of that conversation? Because what you, I don't know if you find it, Steve, but like when people try and automate everything, it just doesn't feel right, right? 
uh, and then you've got it the other side as well where people don't automate anything and then you're like oh why can't you just reply to me i mean we've just moved house and uh i had an electrician come around three and a half weeks ago and he said yeah i'll send you my bank details he still hasn't sent them yet uh, so I, I still haven't paid for the thing and I, I had a um we had someone come around to mow the lawns uh, and and he, he what's it he said yeah i'll send you my bank details he hasn't sent me any bank details yet I'm like, these guys are literally leaving money on the table, right? Because they don't leverage the technology that's already out there. And this is simple tech. So we go, how can we build conversational experiences with customers to use a customer's language patterns and actually have human to human interactions with them to find out what their objections are and then help close those sales, but also automate 80% of that so we don't have to do the grunt work at the front of that. So in in terms of, of technology and, and sort of how these interactions are taking place, can it give us a, a, a rundown of, of the, the technologies that you're using? Yeah, so we we look at like all the different kind of uh, communication platforms, right? So uh, SMS, email, uh, voicemail drops, like even like personalized images, um, chatbots, like anything like that. We don't do as much for chatbots right now, but I used to, that's where it kind of all began. But leveraging all those together and going well, how would I speak if I was just having a conversation? I know it's a crazy thought, right? Instead of thinking like I'm selling something, how would I just speak normally? So for example, one thing that like comes up a lot is the uh, first abandoned cart message, right? That you send out in any... So let's say you've got a high ticket product and you're getting people onto a book call and they don't book, they don't book, book the call, but filled in a type form to say that they qualify and everything they've got through that stage but they've just not quite got over the line now what do most people do they start sending them emails com- campaigns around like go buy go buy this is why you should buy this is why you should book a call rather than just send them a quick email that says hey did something go wrong or something break can you just reply and let me know and i'll get it fixed and what it does at that point it opens up the conversation so then the person goes yeah i was going to book a call but when I went on the page, there wasn't any times available in the afternoon and I only got times available in the afternoon. Or, yeah, I went on to book there and he asked about this piece of information. I wasn't quite sure. So then what do you do? Well, number one, you take that piece of information they just give you, you're going to fix it. So then it doesn't happen to anyone else. And then number two, you can get offer that personalized level of service there. So when they actually book the call, they're more qualified because they've actually built rapport with you because reciprocity, right? So you've actually given something back to them and solve, help them solve their problem. And number two, you've stopped guessing what the problem is. They've just told you the problem. So we've applied that same thing across um, email, across SMS, across chatbots, you know, across the board. And I've had as, as much as a 40% response rate on that, that message that goes out. So it makes it a lot easier to optimize your whole sales process when someone says, this is what was wrong. You go, okay, great, let me fix that. And then imagine when you have, what, 20, 30, 40 people tell you what's wrong it's a lot easier to uh, get everything working better, right? Than trying to go, hmm, let me guess which way the wind's blowing today and see if it actually fixes it. Does that fix it? No, it didn't. Try again, right? That, and that's what most people do, right? They just chuck things at the wall and see what sticks, but we just go and ask the customer. Yeah, I think that's so smart. Um, you know, and and in, in some ways, painfully obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah so, like, like you say, it's not... It's like, oh, th- this guy talks about AI and technology and everything like that. But it's we only leverage technology to to improve the fundamentals, to improve the stuff that we should already be doing anyway. 
I, and the the reason I started doing this stuff is because when I was selling bridesmaids dresses, we used to have a, a messenger notification that sent me a message every time we had an abandoned car. And every single time, within about five minutes, most of the time, I'm on the phone. Right? I'm on the phone with that abandoned car, finding out why they didn't buy. Not in a, hey, you didn't buy. Why have you not bought? Right? Not in that kind of way. We're just like, hey, this is just a courtesy call. I just wanted to see if something went wrong or something broke. Same kind of script I use across the board. And then what happens is they go, oh, thanks so much for ringing. And then you have a conversation. So how's the wedding planning going? Oh, yeah, it's going well. Da, 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 da. Right? We go back and forth. And then by the end of it, you go, listen, I really appreciate your time today. And if you just go to this link and you give them the link and then you give them a discount code there and then you say, I'm really sorry, it does expire in 24 hours. I can't control the timer on the page, unfortunately. But if you just check that link works now, can you see that on the page and your hand hold them through the close? Mm -hmm. So you get all this amazing information about every single person that didn't buy. And at the same time, you close probably 50% of your abandoned carts. Which is crazy, right? And I did the same thing with, um, like, I'd everyone who bought a sample of the bridesmaid dress, like the material, I'd send them a bonjour, a personal video message. Every single one, which was crazy. So you just go and do the legwork up front to get the traction, and then everything else becomes a lot easier. Because then you know exactly what your customers are thinking because you actually spoke to them rather than guessing. Well, now you know what to, when you go to automate, you know what to say. Yeah. Because you know what all the conversations are going to be. I mean, once you get a certain sample size, you've pretty much seen all of the problems, all of the questions. You know, maybe occasionally there there will be an edge case, but you've got most of it at that stage, I would imagine. Yeah. And just think of this as well. So if anyone's listening right now and, and, and they've ever rang up, maybe like, let's say the, your broadband's gone down or, or the electric's gone off or something like that, and, and you've gone... What the hell is going on? Like my broadband's down. I've got, I've got no internet right now. So you ring up and you're like, I'm really annoyed that my broadband is down. And it's like, I understand you're frustrated, Steve. And you're like, no, I'm not frustrated. I'm annoyed, right? Why are you not listening to me? So we have to use the language that our customers are actively using. So mm -hmm. if if we're not using language that say, hey, if you are, you know, if you are a, a, an entrepreneur who wants to launch your first book, right, that's one way of wording the thing. And some people might go, uh, I think that's me. But if, hey, if you are an entrepreneur who wants a book that will bring you leads every single day, like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. Not the first one, right? So we have to use the language that they're using. I'm not saying that necessarily is the language. But how do you know? Well, you go and ask every single person that you can ask and do that legwork. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do that legwork, go and get someone on the team to do it. Go and have a, mm -hmm. a VA or like we're, we're just hiring a, a team internally for us that, that will call every single abandoned car and every buyer. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, whether they buy or they don't buy, I want to find out what the customer experience has been like, what can we can make better for them. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, so it's not about, upselling and cross-selling it's about making the best customer experience possible because then people will naturally refer to you and you'll naturally get more five-star reviews and then your cost to acquire goes down anyway because you're just better you just want to be better than everyone else and the best way to do that is care more than anyone else absolutely absolutely so i think everybody gets excited and sort of starry-eyed when we start thinking about the technology that goes into this because you know, when I talk to most entrepreneurs about this, it's 
wow, I could automate everything and never talk to anyone again. And we've, I think we've already established that's not the goal here, but there is some technology that facilitates this. So I, I, I want to kind of approach this in two ways. Number one, I want to, I want to talk about what the technology is. And, and two, I want to cover why use the technology and, and instead of just having the human touch. Yes. Yeah, so why use the technology and not just use the human touch? Well, Pareto's principle. So if anyone's not familiar with Pareto's principle, it's called the 80-20 rule, right? So 80% of the action, sorry, 80% of the results come from 20% of the actions. So if you apply that to everything, you go, well, what's actually moving the needle every single day? Like what, what is going to move things forward? Is it me sending manually sending a text message to you saying, hey, what went wrong? Is everything okay? which is exactly the same message that I'm going to go and send to 20, 50, 100 other people? Or is it better for me to automate that piece and then have someone behind the scenes waiting for it? As soon as that message comes back, they get notified. And as soon as they get notified, they can then respond to that. So we use our, our, our own app for the like two-way SMS and stuff like that. And we also use like third-party tools for tracking um, things like lifetime customer value so we can actually see like where the biggest opportunities are um, because that's really as well. Like, And this is why we talk about the CECOM trifecta, right? And that is the psychology, technology, and datarology. So to break down what that looks like is your psychology piece is understanding the language that your customers are using. And how do we do that? Well, we just spoke about, right? Just talking to your customers and then using their language in your copy, in your messaging, and all the way through. So that's the psychology piece. It's not as hard as it needs to be if you just speak to your customers. The technology piece is then, okay, great. What is the stuff that I'm doing repetitive? So like one way of doing this is you could plot on a graph, right? So just kind of look across cross-section of like what has the most impact. So most impact, least impact, and then most time, least amount of time. And then plot everything that you do in terms of the communication or the sales process and then look where it is. And then that low-hanging fruit where it's like, hey, this is high impact and it takes a high amount of time, but like you can do it with that and you can go, actually, we could automate that. Then select those things first and then take those things off the plate. And then the dataology, well, that actually dictates where where do we actually put our focus? Because it, it's like, imagine you've got an archery board, right? And you're in the middle of a field, someone's blindfolded you, spang you around 10 times, and then just gone, right, go and hit that gold right in the center of that archery board, like 50 foot away. You've got no idea. You've got no idea where the board is. Probably going to hit the instructor. That's going to cause a legal claim. It's all going to go downhill, right? There's going to be blood everywhere. And it's going to be really terrible. So the alternative is using dataology. So that goes, well, let's look at all the pieces of the data. And what is the data telling us? So for example, if I looked at the lifetime customer value of a customer, if I go, okay, when they consume that piece of content, the lifetime customer value goes up significantly. So how much a customer is worth goes up, let's say it goes up $100 or $200. So what's the next question that we ask ourselves is, how do I get people to consume that piece of content? So then we go back to the psychology and the, and the technology to make sure that we're using the right words to con persuade and influence them to consume that piece of content and then we use the right technology to make sure we follow up with them and, and get them to consume that piece because we know that gets them, number one, the result, 
And then number two, it gets us the result that we want as well because we've got an increase in lifetime customer value. So that's really like how it all goes together from a holistic thing. And some people might be listening to this and going, I'm only just getting started. Oh my God, that's a lot of stuff, right? So other people might be going, oh, that's what I need. That's why we're stuck. And this is why we say break through the glass ceiling. This is why a lot of people are stuck at like that 200, 250K a month. At that point, it's just like, ah, I'm not sure where, like, why, why can't we break through? And it's because we're not leveraging those other things. But if you're looking from a, a beginner standpoint or, you know, you're just getting started, just trying to get tra- traction, first thing is get on the phone. Get on the phone. Every single person who puts in their phone number, just call them up. If you don't like calling people, find someone who does. Get 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 your mom, get your dad, get get, get your brother, your sister, like who, whoever, whoever you can get like to, to rope in to just go, Hey, you love people. <laughs> Call people. Here's a script. And then uh, just get the data back. And then you can go and make things better, improve things, and just make the best customer experience possible. So it sounds like your your approach is just really to iterate into having this very robust and automated system that does the... It, it Really, the automation seems to handle the first few steps. Yes. Right? And... Um, I always like that. People have asked me before, you know, occasionally I'll get back an email because we have an automated message that goes out when someone joins our list and it asks them, you know, what, usually a very short question, what type of business are you in? Or, you know, just something to get to know them a little bit because this is a stranger who's now kind of in our world. And I I get these responses back of, oh, is this automated? And I'll I'll tell people, yes, it's automated. I, I set up the automation because... I have every intention of sending everyone that comes into our world this really nice personalized email that asks them this exact same question every time. But I know myself and I know that I wouldn't fulfill that, you know? So the automation actually steps in and allows me to do what I really intend to do and do it consistently and provide the same experience for everyone. Now, when they reply back, you know, now we're conversing and they've got, you know, me in the flesh. But I I think to your point, like thinking in terms of 80, 20 and saying, instead of automating the whole thing, how can I automate the bulk of it? And, you know, like when, when we get those responses back, it's the top 20% anyway, or maybe the top 10%, you know? And so now it's at a manageable level where you can keep up with that. And those are the valuable people that are willing to engage in conversation anyway. So I, I love the approach. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? Is like what you said about mentioning, yes, it is automated. Like and some people mis- like misunderstand this piece, right? It's just kind of, oh, you're tricking people into thinking that something's real when it's not. It's not about that. It's, it's just writing exactly the same thing that you would write normally. And then, hey, if they reply, yeah, they're going to re- respond with a human. The, where, where there's a line... It is when you pretend then throughout the whole conversation to be human when you're trying to use a bot, right? And you're trying to train the AI to to pretend that it's human and, and it's not. Um, like, you know, and when we first started, we started to try and do some things like that. And then it just didn't feel right. Um, and also people's patience is a lot less. And it's like, yeah, you've, you know, you've hoodwinked me, you've pulled the wool over my eyes kind of thing. Rather than it's actually quite interesting sometimes if you are going to automate most of the conversation, you say, Hey, this is automated. Um, and like, for example, you might, you might like, we, we had one when we were doing bridesmaids dresses that was kind of like, um, 
hi, it was called Dot the Bot, right? Dorothy, the, the wedding bot. So she, we created this persona around her that she was like this uh, like 70-year-old that had been married four times and she knew everything about weddings and all that stuff. And she was the all wise, all knowing. So it was like Dot the Bot was the thing. And people have, you know, they can create names and personas for those things. But if you put the word bot in the first one, then they're like, oh, Okay, great. Now now it becomes a game. It becomes something fun that they can engage with. They're like, okay, let's see what it does. Let's see how good it is. But if you go and pretend to be something else, then you just switch people off. And I've seen some certain platforms and stuff where people have gone, yeah, this doesn't work as well as people pretend uh, or, or say that it does at the gate. Yeah, sort of when you when you tell them it's a bot, it's sort of like when my my kids first got iPhones and discovered Siri and they spent, you know, two weeks having Siri tell them jokes just to see what it would do. Right. Um, how smart is this thing? But I love that creating that persona around it. Cause that actually creates branding mm. and, you know, and it, it's a way to set yourself apart. If you go down that route, not every business probably needs to go down that route. I think the vast majority of businesses could get away with one or two automated messages to get the conversation going so that everybody gets that. And then a really good conversation flow mapped out for the humans to take over. So once the humans take over, do you script out a lot of that? Or do you sort of have conversation paths? I know sometimes you can't script everything mm. because it's a human being on the other end and they're unpredictable. But how do you approach that? Yeah, so we we, we look at looked to go for frameworks more often as well than uh, than full scripts. And we'll actually like work with like a concierge team or like, you know, that will help their operations, uh, our clients' operation teams build out. So like, we'll go, okay, here's the first iteration of it. Give us some feedback on it. And then they're like, yeah, when we send that message, that, that just didn't work. It was it was weird or it was too long or that didn't sound like me. I was like, okay, great. Let's bring it back. And like, so for example, like you say about a persona, like we have one client that works in the, it's very much a, they're, avatar is all moms right so if i write like a, a corporate that's not gonna fit but like if it's full of emojis and yay exciting everything's great we build that kind of persona into all the messages right and we write more and more like that and in fact like even when i write the copy because i'm a bit more direct response like i'll have my wife look over it and soften it as well so she'll she'll just go through it and she'll just go you need to make it more fluffy <laughs> <laughs> right so right. like it, it's it's an interesting thing that you have to take that step back from your own personal thoughts and views around like what it should be it's not about what we think it should be it's about what the customer engages with and and that again it's an iteration process right it's a constant a b testing and making it better and better and better and one of the things that the way is that i've done that as well with conversational frameworks before is like i'll give them a layer of script and say, hey, in this situation, if someone responds positively, then here's a template of how to do that. If they respond negatively, go down this route, right? And then here's how to guide them through to the sale um, and handhold the close or whatever the thing is. And like, if they answer on this score rating, so sometimes it'd be like, so on a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to move forward? And we've closed $5,000 deals over SMS. And they're just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a nine. Okay, great. I'm just curious, what would make that a 10? Send the text message back, right? And then they're like, oh, if I had this, it's like, great, I can answer that now for you. Would that help? Yes, right? And then they'd answer that and they go, great, uh, would you like the link? Yeah. And then we just get them to sign up there and then, right, over SMS. So that's the, that's the magic of how it all links together. 
I love it. I love it. Um, so, you know, I want to come back around to this, this word that you have in the beginning of, of your terminology or conversational. I, I find that for a lot of business owners who they haven't quite wrapped their head around this, this approach yet, they're coming at this from like old school marketing where it's going to be formal or it's going to be direct response, which you mentioned, but this is conversational. This is more like having a text exchange with friends. Is it not? So there's a, there was a guy. Um, I think he was one of the script writers for finding Nemo. And I watched, watched him on a, a Ted talk. He's, I think his name was Andrew something. I, I don't want to misquote him, but the, one of the phrases he said, and it stuck with me ever since in copywriting, give them two and give them two, but don't give them four. Right. So you give them, Hey, if you do this and you do this and then they go, Oh, if I do that and that, that'll get me that. Right. Rather than you saying, if you do this and this, that will get you this result. Because what happens is when we try and force the thing on someone, then they feel like they're being convinced into something. And then what happens is even if they do buy, then they're more likely to have buyer's remorse rather than letting that person come to their own conclusion that that is the result and that's the outcome that they want. So like, um, I think Eugene Schwartz said it and uh, again, like my brain sometimes goes in multiple directions, but I think it was something like, it's, it's not your job to create desire. It's your, just essentially your job to amplify the desire that's already there, right? So it wasn't that exact phrasing, but like, we don't need to create desire. We don't need to convince someone or something. They've already got that desire within them. We just need to take that desire and and focus that attention. So when we talked about the archery board and someone shooting around, instead of them spinning around with a blindfold, we go, okay, great. If you, you can see the archery board over there, yeah. In fact, let me just bring that a bit closer for you. Just make that a little bit easier. So, that, and then they're like, it's like, can you see that? And I can see the target. Oh, it's still a little bit far away. Okay, let me just bring that a little bit closer for you. Right. So you just keep, you bring the target closer and closer of where they want to go. And, and then, and there's something called future pacing as well. Right. So when, when you're in conversations that you're direct response, especially, then you will future pace that, that new reality. But you can future pace that as well through third party. So what, what that means is, for example, if you're telling a story of someone else who's had that success, someone else will then build an emotional connection with that. Like, that person's like me. I want what they've got. Rather than you saying, and, and then one of the phrases that I use a lot at the end of copy, especially in that kind of more, you know, if you need to be a little bit more fluffy with a copy, whatever you choose, do what's right for you. And what that does is it adds a softener at the end. So you can you can pitch fairly heavy, right, throughout it. And it's like, and, and you get this and this and this and this and this. Um, you know, like whatever you choose, just do what's right for you. Or like when it comes to cart clothes, I just wanted to let you know one final time because I feel terrible if you missed out. It's all about the caring and the emotion. And I want to I want to help you do what's right for you rather than the kind of like, if you don't buy it now, it's never going to be available again. And and this is a one-time thing for 24 hours, but it's actually going to be available next week again because that's what we do and we put it out every single week, right? Can't be doing with fake scarcity. I absolutely hate fake scarcity. Uh, I don't know about you, Steve, but I, I think it's the worst invention since non-sliced bread. <laughs> not, not only that, it's also illegal. Yeah. At least Wait. in the U.S., yeah, but people people still seem to uh, seem to do it until the FTC yeah. come knocking. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and so with a lot of the tactics, there are people who are really marketing hacks, 
And they're marketing hacks who will have some success for a period of time because you can use those tactics and exert pressure and manipulation on people and get them to do the thing that you want them to do to get, you can get them to buy, but they'll only ever buy from you once that way. Yeah. And so it's, it, it's very hard to build a business for the long term on that um, because it, you are starting out being untrustworthy. And here's the interesting thing, right? So a lot of people look at AOV, so average order value. And we say the better metric to look at now, I'm not saying don't look at AOV because we're always kind of like, you know, how much can we spend to acquire a customer? But the better metric to look at is lifetime customer value. You know, are people buying from you again and again and again? Or as, as you say, Steve, are people just buying from, from you once? Because the experience and the taste that you leave in someone's mouth after the first interaction with you is the thing that they'll remember next time it comes around. So for example, like at the end of any cart close sequence, if, if we're, we've done like a live launch or anything like that, the end of a cart close sequence, we'll always finish off with something really nice and soft and friendly. We won't be like, remember the doors closed in uh, 12 o'clock. It's like, listen, I know you've had a lot of emails from us over the last few days. The reason we do that is because there's always someone who reaches out to us afterwards and says, or is it still available? And we just wanted to make sure you had all the information. So we appreciate appreciate you, we appreciate your grace, and uh, you do whatever's right for you. And then mm. it's just like, okay, that's nice, right? And then next time it comes around, it's like, oh, they're just doing it for me, right? They're not doing it for them. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And, you know, I, I think you've got to come from, I use a term called purity of intent. You have to come from that place where you actually believe that and you're not just yeah. saying it to manipulate, right? But if you do, to me, that's powerful. That's that's value on top of everything else that you're delivering. People want to do business with people that they can trust and that they believe are, are, are good. And that does make a difference. And I have seen it make a difference in purchases, particularly at the, the higher end of pricing, you know, because there's more at stake. They're, they're, they really do have to trust you more. You know, if I'm buying a $4.95 ebook, I don't really care. You know, it's $4.95. I'm going to spend that much at Starbucks on a coffee later, you know? So not a big deal. But if I'm going to spend $4,500 or $50,000, I want to feel like I'm doing business with somebody that actually is out for my interest. And yes, they have to make money, but they're out for my interest too. And so you convey it with all of these little subtle touches. And I think for everybody listening, this is this may be the takeaway from this interview is you know, listen to, to what Paul has described. And it's, it's these little bits of humanity that you put into your marketing that will make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And, and a lot of people talk about like, oh, you need to be a content machine, right? You need to be putting content out over and over and over and over again. I don't agree with that. Right. I don't think you need to, I think you just need to be human. And like, if you're going to like all our clients run from pay traffic and, you know, we, we help them scale above seven figures a month. And they, they do that where we meet people where they're at at the stage in the buyer journey, right? With all like multiple retargeting strategies as well. We don't run the media ourselves, but we work with the media buyers as well to make sure those strategies are in place. But then people are, are experiencing everything that's going on along the journey. But what you can do is accelerate that timeline. So all these content pieces and the people naturally discovering you, well, why don't you just get it? out there and, and in front of them sooner, not hit them with the same ad like 50 times, but hit them with a series of pieces of, of content that are all like strategically placed 
to break people's limiting beliefs, but also build know, like, and trust throughout the process. And also, if you're not the the guru guru, and I, like for for me, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the face face and I'm we're still trying to figure that out how we can move that away right because I'm a behind the scenes kind of guy but if you don't want to be that person it's like how can you make your customers the hero of your story so and there's a lot of brands that have done done this right they might have done it through mascots or whatever or they've done it through customers Jared used to be a great example for Subway not so much anymore because like he got arrested for bad things um but he was, he was at the time, he was a fantastic example, right? Because he was like, hey, this is someone who used our product, got the dream outcome. And then he, he was the thing all the time. Like even uh, over in the UK, we we have a company called um, Compare the Market, right? Which is just like, like for insurance and stuff like that. And they've got two meerkats on there. Those meerkats have been running for years. Uh, and meerkats are on every single ad. And they even started doing cuddly toys with the meerkats and everything like that. And you build the affinity and people will go and get their insurance from compare the market just so they could get a cuddly meerkat. What's the point? <laughs> it's just crazy, right? So people build affinity with someone, not necessarily who's like them, but someone they can uh, they can relate to in, in some way, right? So either because it, it's cute or because that person's like them or they were where they were or they've shared their emotional journey. There's so many different ways you can do it, but you've got to have something that people can tangibly link to. So you're not just a faceless business. Absolutely. I, that, and, and I think that's so important, you know, for a lot of people listening, they are the business, you know, their names on the door, you know, or they are the, the face because of the content they, they create and that sort of thing. And it's very interesting that I've worked with a lot of people like that and they tend to attract people that are like them, you know, just because of the natural affinity. Um, It's very, just very interesting to, to see that, that play out. So I think it is a a huge, a huge piece in all of this, but uh, I know you have got uh, an interview at the top of the hour. I want to be respectful of your time and uh, I want to kind of bring it to a close. I, I want to make sure people know where they can go to find out more um, and and uh, who should really reach out. And, and you know, if they're interested in, in conversational commerce or CECOM, who's kind of a perfect fit for, for what you guys do? Yeah, so if you've got a, a high ticket program and you're struggling to break through the glass ceiling, you know, you were at that seven figure mark, maybe you're doing a million, two mil a month, uh, two mil a year, uh, and you just like, you want to rapidly scale and there's something blocking and you're not quite sure what it is. Like what we're great at is imagine it might like Mario Karts is you're just driving down and you know, all those gold coins, most people are driving around them all and they just don't know that they're just like, Oh, I didn't, sorry, I didn't realize there was a gold coins there. So what we do is it literally just like re-guide you and guide you right, right through all those gold coins. So you can go to amplifycom.com. So that's uh, amplify the letter C com com and um, you can check out uh, stuff on there and then we've also got a product launching very 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 soon within the next few days which is right now in the coaching space we are helping clients get booked appointments for twenty dollars um which is absolutely bonkers and i thought it was unfair not to share that with the rest of the world uh, so uh, we have got that for a ridiculously low price. Um, that's all I say, just to keep it evergreen. We've got it for a ridiculously low price where you can actually learn that whole appointment booking system that we're using right now to get book calls for about a tenth of the industry average. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. So we'll link that up in the show notes so everybody can go find that. And um, this has been fantastic. Um, I think this is an overlooked part of marketing. Everybody looks at what am I going to do on the front end? How can I get referrals or how can I get traffic or whatever? But all the money is made after they opt in, you know, and, um, and really that's what you're focused on. And so uh, I appreciate you investing some time with me today, Paul, and, and sharing some of your wisdom with us. Thank you. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, yeah, I look forward to catching up soon. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bring in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.